Evolutionary.org presents Evolutionary Hardcore Podcast with your co-hosts, Steve from the American Underground and Mobster from the UK Iron Den. Get ready for the most hardcore and underground info in the industry. And here we go. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6... Evolutionary.org hardcore podcast coming your way. Number 166, Hunter Labrada. Steve Schmee here, the mobster. How's it going? Oh, good. We're talking about one of the potential future tip top Olympians. Uh, and we've got another couple of podcasts like that going in, coming in the future, guys. Let's see what we can do with this fella. And does he have it or doesn't he? So, Hunter Labrada, you probably recognize. The last name, I know I do. He is a bodybuilder from Texas. He's the son of a famous IFBB Hall of Fame bodybuilder, Lee Labrada. Hunter Labrada currently rapidly ascending. Some say he could compete for the Mr. Olympia within the next few years. Yeah. Peak stats, 5'9", 245 pounds. He was born in 1992. So he's almost 30 years old as of this podcast. So he's still a young buck. He's got years ahead of him. So we'll have to keep an eye on him over the next decade, Mobster. A little yeah. bit of his, about his early life before I bring Mobster in here. Labrada originally did not take a bodybuilding path. His dreams were playing football, and that was his main sport throughout his life. And he played football at Northland Cougar High School. He played the positions of running back and safety. And he also held a 4.7 GPA. And he scored 1890 on his SAT. So academically, he was excellent. And as an athlete, he was also very, very good. He's a nerd. <laughs> yeah, he was kind of like me. That's how I was in school as well. Yeah. So. The, the, the big issue, though, Bobster, is football is a brutal. American football is brutal. It's basically yeah. a car accident. You play running back, every time you get tackled, it's a car accident. You play safety, every time you make a tackle, it's a car accident. He ended up with several concussions. He had hip problems, and he had hamstring issues. So he did not put up the stats he needed late in his high school career to get any interest from the big college football programs in the United States. So he played college football at a small school, Bentley University in his hometown. Very, very small college. Um, once he realized he could not make it as a football player, he switched and he decided to go to Texas A&M in Texas and pursue an economics degree. So from there, he gave up on football and he focused on weight training. So that was one of those things where you know, his dreams of being a football player, maybe making it to the NFL one day as a safety or as a running back did not pan out. So even if you have the talent, sometimes it just doesn't work out for you. So that's what happened with him. So before we get into early competitions, do you have anything to add, Mobster? I'm just thinking it's interesting for me and you when with our history and these podcasts that we do, uh, the path that people take 
to get in there. And, and something which I wish to address, which we'll get into properly in a minute, is in his particular case, it's kind of obvious for us as fans that you would have thought he would have been a bodybuilder or a weight trainer, someone who was into the waist, right from the beginning when you got your dad. But And so is there a, which we, what I want to address, is there a pressure from, you know, your father being a great athlete, what you want to do, et cetera. On the other hand, of course, being a pro football player is the American dream if you're an athlete. And certainly that's where the money goes. So, you know, it's, it's an interesting path. He certainly wasn't, and I joked earlier on about him being a nerd, although he's academically a nerd. Uh, it's, it's certainly not someone that struggled with muscle or was skinny or had some sort of, you know, deal that drove him in that particular way. And in fact, if you look at it, perhaps the daddy thing is the only driver to perform as a high-end athlete. It's not the underweight or bullied or, you know, mum and dad's divorced or any of that kind of stuff that seems to be the driver for an enormous amount of people. In fact, one could even argue here, he wasn't poor. He wasn't wasn't someone that came from, you know, from the streets and, and worked his way to the top. So it's interesting that those drivers aren't there and yet He's still a top 10 Olympian. He was still a very, very good athlete at high school and even up to college level. Back to you. So, you know, I also wonder, too, growing up, watching your dad bodybuild, did he think, you know what? My dad really didn't make a lot of money bodybuilding. And I think mm. maybe he could have thought he didn't like it. He was kind of turned off by it. So that could have been one of the right. things, too. Yeah. So certainly you can't... Not, certainly, certainly not. Steve, sorry, just to interrupt, yeah. certainly not directly. I mean, this is a thing sometimes, and you and I talk about it when we talk about social media and how you make money from bodybuilding. And I've even done articles on the forum when I talk about how you, you be, be a professional without being a professional. And what I mean by that is whether you're PT or you're coaching, you're advising, you're prepping, whatever else. We both know that those things, there's some people that are making a good deal of money and they've never got even anywhere near the Olympia stage. So in this particular set of circumstances, sure, Daddy did not win a lot of cash. No way. And certainly not when he was in the Olympia. However, Labrada Nutrition is a business. And that come off the back of being a great bodybuilder. And it's, that's a way, arguably, you go, well, what's my dad worth? I would argue without looking, it's probably worth $100 million. Certainly $50 or $60 million just for the fact that it's a worldwide supplement company, big in America, of course. That's, that's pushing products all over. The, and that's being a businessman. That's saying, I can't make money from winning. I might make some money from seminars and posing it, et cetera, et cetera. But the real way to make money is to get into a company like this with supplementation. And as I just said, have your products sell all over the world. I could walk into uh, uh, big supplement stores here, uh, perhaps not um, uh, the GNC or, and I think even there maybe or the Holland and Barrett, which is a big company over here, but certainly any of their bodybuilding companies and certainly find a Labrador nutrition product on the shelf. So yeah, maybe. On the other hand, we'll talk, if we're talking about actual cash contracts, you're, you're incredibly right. We both know that there's 10 million and up uh, US dollars for a pro football player, for sure. So yeah, and his dad definitely has encouraged him and been on his side. Sometimes parents in a certain profession will encourage their kids not to yes. follow my career path, you know? And, but in his case, his dad is, is on record on video saying, Hey, my son, and I'll include the link in the article. Um, my son 
is destined to win Mr. Olympia. So you usually don't see parents in something like that in a career like this, which is high risk, you know, um, encouraging their kids to get into it. But his dad is, and there's videos of them training together and all that good stuff. So again, I'll include all that in the article and you guys can check that out online. So let's get into his early competition. Having his dad, you know, helping him out, that's a huge advantage. Uh, he already knows the ropes. He already knows what it takes. So, but the thing is, he did not have an interest in competing until he was in his 20s, well into his 20s. 2016, 25 years old, he won the Branch Warren Classic. The next year, he was first at the Dallas Europa. He hired Andrew Wu to be his prep coach to take him to the next level. He went on to be crowned overall NPC Nationals champion. And there were critics who said he was dodging tougher shows, but his plan was always to tread carefully than pounce when he was ready. Part of his struggles also, he was nagging, dealing with some nagging injuries. Uh, shoulder was a, definitely a problem for him. When you have shoulder injuries, it makes it very, very hard to train um, any type of uh, pushing or pulling motion with your upper body. Uh, the shoulders are extremely important, and we tend to have shoulder issues as bodybuilders because they're such a fragile and part of the anatomy on, on the human body. And we pound it into the dirt when we're working out. So he had to take time off. That's the only way when you have a bad shoulder, you have to take time off to let that shoulder kind of fill in, to let that scar tissue fill in and, and heal itself and repair itself that way. So that's going to be a huge problem if you deal with that. Um, there was at one point where he could not even lift hundred pounds over his head. That's how bad his shoulders was. So I've been there, done that myself. Um, to this yeah. day, I, I cannot even, I, I won't lift heavy to this day because I'm scared to death about tearing my shoulder and then having to do a very risky surgery where I'm going to be out for a significant amount of time. So it's best to just let those injuries heal. So if he had kept pounding away, maybe his dad gave him the correct guidance, but if he had kept pounding away, he may have put himself out for a long time and having to have a surgery like so many other bodybuilders. So he's got to be really, really careful when he's uh, messing around with the shoulders. So let's get into his rapid rise. So in 2020, Labrada hit some adversity again. The whole bodybuilding world hit adversity because we had a pandemic going on. This is an evergreen podcast. So who knows down the line, what's the next pandemic going to be? But in 2020, we had the COVID pandemic. Every time there was a quarantine, he was actually able to take advantage of that and improve versus his peers. So he actually won the Tampa Pro that year. And at the 2020 Olympia, he took eighth place ahead of Dexter Jackson. The next year, 2021, Mr. Olympia, he jumped all the way up mobster to fourth place, which was shocking to a lot of people. And it was actually ahead of Nick Walker, who you can compare to him. They're both similar age and that's pretty much his peer they're both you know in their 20s and he finished right behind hottie chupon who we did a podcast about a couple times ago he's been quoted as saying he will retire at 35 if he does not win a mr olympia by then so he's got five four or five more olympias to get that um otherwise he's he's good to go so it'll be interesting i really think he's got the potential to finish in the top three in the next two or three years. Anything you want to add, Bobson? 
I'm just going to, I think it is one of those things, like I said to you already, um, and, and I'm, we're going to get it off, slightly off topic. I'm going to jump in here very quickly before I lose track. So Steve and I talked about off, uh, off air about the idea of how he comes across on social media and specifically his YouTubes and videos that he does. And there's a kind of thing for me, and, and it may be just something that I'm seeing for myself, a vibe of it needs to come across in a more confident way. And that can sometimes be reflected in how you are on stage, how you are uh, when you're being interviewed and all this kind of stuff. It's almost WWE style. You need, you need to inject personality into this stuff. So I think the shocking part of his fourth place with regards to Nick Walker is that a lot of people, probably including myself, would have had Nick slightly ahead. In fact, you might recall, Steve, that we had, um, say, some suggestions of what we thought the top 10 was going to be, top five was going to be in the Mystery Libya on the forum uh, just prior to the show taking place. And it was one of those things where you see Nick comes across as more pro-like pro, and Hunter does not. So I don't know. It's been a bit of a thing to me where you kind of get that sense of hunger, and yet here we are talking about a guy that ends up in fourth place. Maybe his physique is what appeals to the judges. So it's, it's stuff like that. I don't know necessarily... <laughs> If the quote, which I I, I, I would agree is, has been said, is something like when these guys, when they lose the competition, they talk about retiring, and then three days later, they change their mind. So you and I both know plenty of people have said stuff like they'll retire at 35 if he doesn't win a Mr. Olympia. But if he gets a second or a third, and he can see the, the trophy and almost touch it, I suspect that little comment will get thrown out the window if he's hungry enough, if he's enjoying himself enough. And... As I say, if the personality develops to the point where he comes across in a more confident, more pro-like pro way on, on video in interviews and, and that kind of stuff. Maybe, I mean, it's, it's almost a thing that we kind of expect that from people that are that you're standing on stage in your underpants, guys, flexing your muscles. You need to be confident. You need to have that kind of personality. And more so in terms of sponsorship, sponsorship Getting, getting that kind of support and, of course, with the social media stuff. So it's one of those things where I, I, I almost want him to be more hungry, almost want him to be more aggressive, more in your face. Not a huge amount, not over the top, just a little tiny bit more. So, yeah. I mean, do you want to talk about training now, Steve? Yeah, we're going to talk about his training and nutrition right now, but let's get into social media first. He All does right. have an Instagram following, 300,000 followers. He's marketing several supplement and food companies. Uh, he has a T-shirt slogan called "Win the Day." So, and then Mobster alluded to, he's not that out there. Um, he's gotta definitely, if he wants to make, you know, get more endorsements and stuff, uh, he's got to. But like you said, you know, his dad's company is probably so big that he really doesn't care. So that might be an advantage to him. He doesn't have to worry so much about getting endorsements and all that stuff. He can, if his dad's company, true. if his dad's company is worth a hundred million, then he's sending on a lot of money regardless. And I'm sure his dad, you know, has a trust fund in place and all that good stuff. So he's probably not even worried about the money at this point. I, I don't think he cares about the money. I think he just wants to uh, win a Mr. Olympia. I, I think it's important to him um, to show up his dad. I, I think that that would be very, very important to him as much as he's not going to admit that we see that a lot. Um, some, some psychology for you guys. Um, if you get into the same business as your father, 
let's say, yeah, you you expect it to be a success. Like if you inherit a business from your father, for example, you want to grow that business. If that business only has two locations, you want to get four locations, five locations, six locations. And if you fail at doing that, it's devastating psychologically. So I think already he's, you know, done. He's already proven that he's, you know, better than his father at bodybuilding. So I think, but I think he wants to really, really, really prove it because his dad is in the Hall of Fame after all. So he's got still, he can't just quit now. He's got to keep going. Uh, for sure. So let's get into his nutrition and training. Um, I'll talk about a little bit of his nutrition. He doesn't believe in dirty bulking. Um, he believes in a whole food diet, beef, fish, chicken, natural carbs. He doesn't believe in refined foods in his body as all, and he stays away from sugar. So his other favorite foods, uh, rice, turkey, sweet potato, and eggs. So guys, be careful of those refined oils, those refined sugars. They're in everything out there. So you really have to avoid those those are basically poison in, into your body. Um, so talk about his training and then we'll kind of move into his steroid cycle. Right, I, I'm talking about the training because it's something that's mentioned in the article here, Steve, plus a, a comment of my own to add to it. So in the past, he's been a high volume guy and he realized that he wasn't making the progress. And in fact, just today, I answered a question on one of the forums to the, to the point where the, where the member was asking what kind of volume we did we were all doing it. And my response wasn't this, this is how many sets, how many reps I do, because I'm very much a low volume guy. It was what works. And you and I have addressed this on previous hardcore podcasts when we turn around and say, listen, guys, you need to find your way of working out that makes progress. So uh, Hunter here realized that he was doing 25 sets of body part and that was overtraining. He wasn't progressing. He wasn't adding the quarter inch. He wasn't seeing a better shape to the muscle. Sometimes with muscle maturity, it doesn't get bigger and bigger, but it looks harder, it looks more refined. And he wasn't seeing that. And this is a guy that's got very, very good genetics. Although he does not have that light middleweight type physique that his dad had, which was outstanding and an amazing poser, he's a much fuller looking bodybuilder. He, he, so his genetics are, are crazy good. He still realized that 25 sets was too much. So reducing the volume, start to see results. So for example, workouts, we're talking about per set is eight to 10 reps, much more like myself in my eight rep range, which is what I'm currently doing, and keeping the intensity extremely high. That is quite often, guys, a percentage of your one rep max. So 80 or 90% versus a typical bodybuilder, which would be 60 to 70%. Like does drop sets, which is another intensifier, and supersets with short breaks. You can watch, there is quite good videos, especially when he was, having those videos done by Labrada Nutrition. And one of the things that I did notice, which was my additional comment, well, and in fact, funny enough, I've just seen another bodybuilder uh, on, on, a, on a YouTube channel, uh, for want of a better phrase, as we say here, slagging off bodybuilders to do, Nathan Yasha, uh, which is the use of resistance bands on machines. So for example, the hack squat, you go down and you've got some ridiculous weight on the side, eight, nine, 10 plates aside on a hack squat. So 10 plates would be 900 pounds. And at the bottom, you've got a green resistance band assisting you. And in fact, I can think of a few videos of hunters that I watched some time ago where he was using that for a lot of his exercises. So it looked, for example, like he was doing three plates aside on a press in the worst part of the, the, the exercise, which is at the, the bottom, and you're using a resistance band. So in other words, you're taking 5, 10, 15, 20 pounds 
or more off. So it's a great way to do certain things, but I was seeing this all the time on several exercises. And it's one of those things, my thing is, is he taking away the resistance because that's the worst position or that he's trying to save his shoulders in the case of the seated press? Or is it just one of those things where three plates aside looks really good in video? So I don't know. There might have been, for my opinion, a little too much of that over several exercises and not always that some sort of medical necessity like Steve addressed earlier on when he's had damaged shoulders in the past, but on other exercises as well. And again, that might be one of those things, and we've talked about this multiple times, where sometimes the training and the editing of training is done in a certain particular way so as to get the views to look impactful. For example, lots of photo shoots back in the day done with 200 pound dumbbells, et cetera, when the athletes could barely handle the 200 pounds because it made for an amazing picture. The same thing sometimes applies to the videos that are done for YouTube. Even with the editing, for example, you're not seeing a guy that's gasping for three minutes between sets. It just looks like one set after another. That's not down to, that's not a particular thing that's specific just to, that's, that happens a lot of the time. And in fact, if it didn't, we'd all end up with an hour and a quarter long video of a guy just working chest which I addressed when we did the Haddy uh, podcast just recently, literally 45 minutes of him doing one exercise, which is great because he's got an amazing physique, but then after a while, there's only so much. So there's things around about. It's just, the, the, the positive from this, of course, is that he recognised he was overtraining. He made adjustments and he shows you with a physique that's gotten fourth place in the Olympia that you don't need to be doing some high German volume type training whether it's 20, 30, 40, 50 sets of body part. You absolutely do not. And here again, as I said, he's doing eight to 10 reps. That's my rep range. So he's 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 probably doing not a, a huge distance away in terms of overall sets per workout than I am. But his will be one body part per workout, 16 sets, something like that, 12 to 16 sets, whereas for me, that's like three body parts. So I'm a, I'm a much lower volume guy. Uh, and again, I'm not on the Olympic stage and Hunter is. Let's get into his PED use. Let's talk about what we think he might be doing to achieve that kind of physique. So, yeah, let's get into it, Mobster. So it's interesting to speculate what he could have used today versus what his father would have used back in the early 90s. So we can take mm -hmm. a speculative guess of what his cycle yep. would look like today. So the first thing that guys are using a lot of today that they may not have used very much of back in the early nineties is HGH human growth hormone. And today they're using a ton of it, 20 IUs per day. Very, very important to use that human growth hormone. It does a lot in the body. Growth hormone will split cells and grow them. Anabolic steroids will just grow them. There's a difference. But the thing is when you use a bunch of HGH, your blood sugar, is going to go higher. So you've got to use insulin. And he's probably using about 12 IUs of insulin per day to bring that blood sugar down, creates a good nutrition partitioning effect in the body. Now, when that gets going in the system, that's going to create growth. You know, it's going to make it really easy to take advantage of the food you're eating. So when he goes and works out, breaking down that muscle, and then he goes and he takes his growth hormone and he's, he's taking his growth hormone throughout the day. He's taking his growth hormone. He's taking his insulin. His insulin's in his system. He goes and has his meal. He goes and has protein. 
he goes and has those carbs all that stuff is fuel and he's able to take advantage of all that fuel he's putting in his body the next one trembolone and in 1200 milligrams a week the guys in the early 90s his father would have used trembolone maybe here and there but i don't think they were using this kind of dosing and trembolone is the golden nectar of the gods of bodybuilding and <laughs> trembolone is mandatory is absolutely mandatory if you don't want to use trembolone at this level you're just not going to be able to keep track you're not going to be able to keep up with your peers period so trembolone is something that was is absolutely mandatory i would say the hgh and the trembolone are two things right off the bat that are extremely mandatory to use as as bodybuilders the next thing the difference between what his father used and today, I think Primabolin is what they like to use back in the early 90s. It was something that Arnold was rumored and Frank Zane was rumored to use in the 70s. And I think that guys in the early 90s were kind of still into that old school mentality of Omni. Yeah, bigger amounts, I think. But yeah, sure. But then now it's like, ah, Primo, it's a waste. I'm going to spend all that money on Primo, risk it being fake when I can just use Equipoise. And Equipoise is cheap and rarely fake. So Equipoise, it's mild, and it's something that you can add on the cycle, 1,000 milligrams a week. The side effects are not that bad at all, almost as low as Primo with Equipoise. So it's something they can throw in there, and it kind of is icing on the cake. And then testosterone sipinate and testosterone propionate, 500 milligrams a week. This is something that they would have played around with ahead of their competitions. Obviously, you want to drop your testosterone ahead of it. You don't want that testosterone causing any type of water retention in your system. So it's, you know, we can speculate a low amount of testosterone and then fluctuating it. Maybe they go higher, maybe, and then they drop it lower ahead of the competition. Um, dropping it entirely as well as an out of the question that can happen as well. So mobster, what do you, what else do you think he may have been using on this, on his cycle here? I'll touch on something you mentioned right at the beginning, which is the difference between what his dad's generation would have done and his own and, and the generation. Now the, the numbers total, for example, around uh, a little bit more, in fact, uh, probably about six grams a week ish. And that's, again, as we said, this is what we're guessing. And we're talking about, again, competition cycles here, guys. I think it's availability of drugs again, and something else specifically, which is his dad was never a big, big athlete. And Hunter is a big athlete. As you say, five foot nine and 240 plus pounds on stage versus his dad, who's actually a little bit shorter. I'm going to say five, six, five, seven. You could see from photographs and videos the difference in height it's not huge two three inches but also is about 60 pounds more muscle on hunter's frame now i'm assuming without seeing photographs that some of that genetics come from his uh, maternal his mother's side versus the paternal father's side so what lee would have needed to have used to look as amazing as he did versus what hunter needs to use to look how he does it is is actually going to be different. This is where you and I will talk about on forums, and we're not the other. All, all of the the mods and the VIPs that we have on the forums talk about this 
And a lot of the time we're talking about from our own experience, I, I'm, I don't need a lot of drugs to be the size that I am. Steve's used more Trent. Well, Steve's used Trent. I've never used Trent. And this is the sort of difference between those two physiques. When you put his dad together, and you can see that there's some genetic crossover there, it's still a 60 pounds on stage body weight difference. And I don't know that Lee would have benefited in terms of how he looked in his aesthetics and how lean and how great he posed by adding a lot more trend or a lot more equipoise, et cetera, to his cycle. However, Hunt has a much fuller, more rounded, longer muscle bellied and just physically bigger physique. So what we're talking about here, guys, is what modern bodybuilders use. And especially when you're five nine and 240 pounds on stage with the physique that Hunter's got. So for example, 1,250 milligrams a week of Masteron. And again, this is a competition drug. There's some of you guys out there that would do this as part of a looking lean, looking good, trying to look good for the beach type thing, but nowhere near these kind of levels. This is pro level on stage at the Olympia and it's a muscle hardener. 100 milligrams of Winstrol up into around 200 milligrams a day. Again, this is one of those drugs. I wouldn't want to run this for a long time. We know there could be issues with joints, and we've already said that uh, Hunter's had problems with his shoulder. So this is definitely something that's a pre-show, getting in shape, looking damn good on stage uh, drug versus something that he'd want to run long-term. You notice, for example, we haven't mentioned deck here. It's not the great healer that some people seem to think it is, and yet it would probably make him feel good on cycle. I'd actually, if I was Hunter, maybe use Decca in my off-season training just as a way of getting around any pain and discomfort. And hopefully he's done the rehab and had the rest that Steve mentions earlier on. Another drug would be 150 milligrams a day proviram up into around 250 milligrams a day. Again, this is one of those drugs we're talking about polish, polish, polish here. You, if you don't have the raw tissue to begin with, then throwing polishing, hardening drugs is, is not going to do you any favours. And again, the same thing applies to diet. If you're doing all of these polishing, hardening drugs and your diet's off, then forget it, guys. It, you, you can't make a lump a turd into a diamond if, it, if that diamond's right in the middle of that. It, it just needs to be... You need to be lean. You need to have this kind of genetics, especially those kind of genetics, to get the maximum benefit from it. Something that was around at the time when Lee was competing, but perhaps I think from the, what we hear about comp competing bodybuilders doing, and again, this is all best guess stuff, but with the, the directs, we know what they're doing because some of them have talked about it and because of the mistakes that they've made. Directs are way more common now and uh, um, accessibility so more than one kind of uh, diuretic is way more common because it was around Lee's time that they tested a couple of times. And there was one drug that people were using that they stopped using because the testing, but that was the one that kept getting caught in the test and the others came in, but they've all got issues. And we, of course, know from talking about this hardcore podcast where athletes have made mistakes by using multiple diuretics and chasing one after another, but not allowing for the drug to take effect and then end up making mistakes. So I would hope with... Lee and his uh, prep coach on side giving him information that he would do the least amount possible here. And I think that's one of those great things about having an Olympian or former Olympian as a dad. And obviously, hopefully, a good prep coach, perhaps someone that your dad recommended as a way of saying, listen, this guy knows his shit and he's not going to fuck you up. 
And lastly, but by no means least, in terms, I should have got one more, um, Arimidex here as, as an AI. Again, this is accessibility type things. The drugs that we're talking about as AIs were available, in my opinion, around the time that Lee was competing, but it wasn't always necessarily that we knew that these drugs as bodybuilders, rather than medical people, were out there and that perhaps we could benefit from the use in our training. And let's be honest, I don't think we've seen any photographs of Hunter with what looks like a bitch tip or, or looking like he's having any kind of gyno issues or anything like that. So again, that could be genetic, his response, but equally it could be good advice, the right and proper use and, and that kind of thing. Finally, Steve, which is not mentioned on there, and again, the accessibility versus then versus now, with the exception of insulin, there was no real access in those days properly, and we're only talking about 20 years ago here, to peptides. Whereas now we, we can pretty much, what's worth having, we can get hold of, or we can get that hold of via sponsors on the forum. We, it's, it, and and it, the information is everywhere. So that's something where I'm thinking perhaps it's more off season than competition uh, cycling. Uh, that we might be some peptide use there. And again, this might explain, as I said earlier on, you've got genetics as well, parental, uh, paternal and maternal, but also the difference between his father's physique and his physique. Like, quite simply, as I said, guys, there's 60 pounds more tissue on a ever so slightly taller frame. And, you know, it's one thing to be a little bit taller or a little bit heavier than your father, generation to generation, but 60 pounds is going there somewhere when your dad was an athlete and you're an athlete so that might explain the difference certainly in terms of the numbers that we've talked about even if trend was available and it was back in the day guys weren't doing 1200 milligrams they weren't doing over a gram a week in those days and they are now uh, the equipoise was run of course it was but again i don't think it was very common to see a thousand milligrams run per week back in the day and it is now and so the, the numbers are different. Whether you could argue the quality of the physique is different, I think it's one of those things that Hunter, in terms of my thoughts on his physique, he needs to be a lot darker on stage and he's got fantastic physique, but he's, the, the thing that's gonna get him, if he gets to the Olympia crown, if he gets to the Sandow trophy, is gonna be that quality of muscle, the hardness of muscle, but specifically with Hunter physique, the visual separation between the muscles on stage. I know of bodybuilders with amazing, well-rounded vascular physiques, et cetera, et cetera, but they lack the separation. And if you, my, my, this is my personal opinion, the judges obviously saw it differently. Nick Walker, who we'll be doing in the podcast very soon, has that separation or appears to have that separation on stage and Hunter does not. But as I said, the judges, they, they saw it differently and they placed him ahead of Nick. So what do I know? Back to you, Steve. Yeah, and it's interesting, guys. You can check out his pictures on his Instagram and check out his pictures in Google Images and just incredible, uh, just incredible size. Um, oh, yeah. And he started, he started late. I mean, he, he pursued his education. He wanted to pursue football. He did his best to pursue football. He didn't get any looks. Um, his injuries caught up to him in football, so he decided to finish his degree. And, you know, I tell guys all the time, the younger guys, you need to finish your degree. We have a disturbing trend among men where 
They are, um, I think the colleges now in the United States, I don't know if it's the same way in, in, in your side of the woods, mobster, but I think two to one colleges are female. Yes. And it's because men are impatient. And look, I was the same way. I, you know, I went and I got into, um, you know, finance industry at a young age. Yep. But I still, there's classes online. There's classes in the evening. There's classes on the weekend. That's what I did. I went and I got my degrees. I, I finished my degrees while I was working and making pretty good money. You know, yeah, really, really good money. Yeah, so yeah, you can yeah. do... Yeah. You don't have to just drop out of college and then just have just go pursue your dreams. He did. He finished his college while pursuing his dreams of football. It didn't work out, but he still finished his education. And now if, you know, he doesn't have to worry about anything. Once he's done bodybuilding, he can go. He doesn't need his dad's money. He's got an economics degree from a, a high-end university and he can go get a job working in the economics field, making good money. He doesn't have to worry. So you have these other bodybuilders, no education. They drop out of high school. They drop out of college. And then they pursue bodybuilding and it doesn't work out. So then they, where, where, where can they go now? So it's very important, you young guys listening, if I can just change one of you guys' minds, okay? Your parents are going to tell you the same thing. Your counselors at school are going to tell you the same thing. But let's be honest, mobster. Nobody at that age listens to their parents or counselors. <laughs> yeah. So will you listen to me? You can do both. Yeah. There's nothing preventing you from doing what I did. If I can do it, you can do it. Take weekend classes, take online classes. I know it sucks. I know most of this shit you learn in college. You're like, man, this isn't going to help me in life. I know it seems like that, but this disturbing trend where less and less men are pursuing their education is really going to over the next 10, 20, 30 years is going to create a very bizarre economy where there's a huge inequality of incomes between males and females. And, you know, you're going to get married to a woman who has degrees and you don't have a degree and she's going to making two, she's going to be making twice what you make. And then you're going to lose your business and you're not going to make nothing. And you're going to be the house husband at home. And that's not fair to her. So you want to, pursue it guys once you get my age you know women they will respect a guy who has a, a good education because that tells them that this guy you know has a good head on their shoulders he's going to provide he's going to he's going to make money and they you know that's going to attract them to you but if you you're a dropout high school dropout college dropout they're not going to be interested so you really need to pursue your education and do what hunter did Finish your degree at a young age, and then you can do whatever you want. And even if you want to start a business, even if you want to work, okay, I worked two jobs while I was in college. So don't give me that shit that you can't do all three. It wasn't easy. It did not allow me much social life. It didn't allow me much else. And I was eating romaine noodles, you know, because I was so poor doing it. But still, it pay, it's going to pay off for you. I would not be doing this podcast today if I didn't have an education. I would not be doing you know, my other job if I didn't have an education. So it's very, very important. Education is the number one thing you need to pursue, whether you're pursuing bodybuilding or any other uh, hobby or skill. 
you need to finish your education. As dumb as it may seem to have a degree, you need to finish your education. So guys- I'll jump, I'll jump yeah. back in here. You've got to have a plan B, guys. And education is part of your plan B. So you go, I want to be a great bodybuilder. I want to be a great ball player. I want to play soccer. I want to play basketball or whatever else. And there's some serious big money out there if you make it. But if you don't make it, you need a plan B. And education is key in your plan B. You need to, there's a couple of quick points for you. The mobsters, old, wise ahead, and Steve's covered it as well. Pick your subjects well. Look at what's happening in the market. Look at where you think the market's going to go in terms of jobs and future and pick well. Don't just do, I've forgotten a particular turn of phrase. Don't just pick something because you like it. Don't do a vanity degree. That was the word I was looking for, but pick something useful whether it's chemistry or computing or something like that, something with a future, you've got to have a plan B. And it's great, especially with computing, for example, if you're doing your social media, there's guys out there that have created their own platforms that do their own editing, that kind of stuff, their own marketing. There's another one that you can pick for yourself that's useful for your plan B because it can be used outside the sport. But if you do well in the sport and you can market yourself well, then you're going to do better than the next guys. And Steve's correct. We have exactly the same issues here. And I won't call it an issue, but more women, double the number of guys, are coming out of the end of their extended education, higher education, with degrees than men, twice as many. You've got the other issue, which is the same on both sides, in that don't do that stuff and then fuck it up, because you still got the ridiculous student debt to deal with. And that's another reason why you want to plan B, because I wouldn't want to go to college or university screw it, still end up with $68,000 debt and then have to go off to some shitty two-bit job while trying to do my dreams of be a great athlete, great bodybuilder or whatever else. So have a plan B, have a backup. Even Ronnie Coleman, as much as he struggled to get his initial jobs when he came out, was cum, the highest, of, what's the phrase, Steve? Cumulada? Cum, cum, yeah, cumulada, like yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a Latin That's term, yeah. Yeah, the Latin term, the highest possible result that he could have had for his accounting degree. That doesn't always come across like an accountant, but the guy knows his money. He's got that side fixed. He had to, had to do a bunch of jobs again and ended up with, with working in the police. So almost arguably, Ronnie very nearly struggled with a plan B, but ultimately ended up with a job with a pension and medical benefits and everything else. And only when he was a multimillionaire did he retire from the police force and going to something else. So sometimes we see this with the younger guys on the forums. They, and it's just an experience and it's a sign of their youth. They lack the vision and the experience to see 10, 15, 20 years down the road. Here's something where Hunter, even if he wasn't thinking like that, is a good example of someone who had, we hope, the foresight and like I joked earlier on, the nerdishness to come out of university and college with a proper degree something that he can use regardless of whatever support he may or may not get from his father via the supplement company or any other supplement companies that he's sponsored by here's it goes he could walk into a job which like Stephen third earlier on where he can earn six figures uh by virtue of his degree by virtue of his life experience by virtue of everything else already and in some lesser way by virtue of being a a known face and an athlete of some renown, the having that degree 
means that people are going to look at you differently and think of you differently, even when it comes to sitting down and working out contracts. When the person that's across the table, the athlete across the table, has a degree in finance, you can't scream for the buck. You can't have him over for a dollar. So you're going to have that advantage right there. You're going to know what they're on about when they're trying to get the financial shenanigans on contracts and all that kind of stuff. And we see this in bodybuilding and athletes contracts all the time. So there's another advantage to having your head screwed on and your education sorted. You're going to be treated a different way. You're going to know what's going on with your contracts. You're going to know how to get the best deal out of for both sides uh, of a sponsor's uh, arrangement and so on and so forth. Back to you, Stu. All right, guys. So this does it. Hunter Labrada. We'll have to keep an eye on him in the next few years. But a uh, very, very, you know, very talented guy. And he's going to definitely make some waves. We'll, we expect some good things out of him in the next few years. So talk to you guys next week. Well, we will have Nick Walker, one of Hunter's prime competitors. Take tea, Dan. Bye-bye. Please note, we're not doctors and opinions are hours and hours alone. They're our views and based on the experience and views that we have on this topic from years of experience. Podcasts are for informational purposes and entertainment only. The freedom of speech and the First Amendment. <laughs>